they want to stand there and throw up fours, like they can step up to us. I'll put I'll put my team against any other team any day of the week. Welcome to another episode in the Four Horse Women podcast series presented by Women Love Wrestling. Every week on Four Horse Women, we are joined by an awesome guest who reveals their personal Four Horse Women. These are their greatest of all time, picked from the all-time history of the sport. Becky Lynch, China, and Bona Kano, led by Mildred Burke? Sure, why the hell not? We'll be having a drink of their choice and discussing why these four women mean so much to our guests in a fun 30 or so minutes as we celebrate wrestling goodness. It's like meeting your mates before going to a show, but without any of the cues. Um, This show is part of the Women Love Wrestling project, so head on over to womenloverestling.net to find out more about our book and our range of t-shirt and sticker designs, where 100% of the money we make is going to support women's charities Rain and Women's Aid. The likes of Nyla Rose, Mick Foley and Rhea O'Reilly are among those endorsing our work, and that's all over at womenloverestling.net. This week on the show, our guest is Sarah Parkin. Sarah is a really cool person who knows a lot about wrestling history, in particular women's wrestling in Japan. She also contributed to the Women Love Wrestling book, um, and she'll be here in one moment to tell us her four horsewomen. So, welcome Sarah to the show. How are you doing? Really good, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to kind of sit here over a, a good mug of solid British tea and have a catch up about wrestling. Uh, that's going to be my next question. What are you drinking? Tea? I am, I am, I, I am drinking Yorkshire tea. I'm, I'm, I'm teetotal. So as much as I would be tempted to join everybody with a beer, I am now. I am here with a good cup of sort of solid Yorkshire brew, which is pretty much my drink of choice most of the time, to be honest. Do you put sugar in your tea? I'm trying to wean myself off it. But I I did quite well until quite recently. So I used to, there was a point in my life where I had two sugars in my tea because I thought that was just the way things were. Um, and I learned my lesson and realised that if you're having six cups a day, that's a lot of sugar. Uh, so I kind of like weaned my way off. Uh, and now I'm down to half a sugar. So uh, it, it's really not a lot. I mean, but over the period of, I mean, we are talking about this has been a slow process over years. So I got myself down from two to one, and then I couldn't quite bring myself to make the next step of cutting it out completely. So I'm on I'm on half a sugar for now, and I think it's it's a maintenance dose. I think at this point, I'm actually joining you on tea today. I'm I'm more of a lapsan souchong though. So I don't know if you've ever had it. It's an it's a real smoky tea. Yeah, you see, there's a there's a place for the nicer teas of the world. Uh, I I support all of that. I'm quite a fan of a nice stronger sound sometimes as well um but yeah no I'm builder's tea most of the time to be honest I'm not fussy so but I like it I like a good strong brew that sort of fuels me through the working day as well because I'm quite heavily reliant on the caffeine in it as well yeah as long as you've got the drink you want that's what matters that's cool all right great well, let's crack on with this um you know you're aware of the brief so you've got your four horse women ready um let's start then so every stable needs a leader who is the leader of your four horsewomen? Well, the leader is Bonacana. 
because I'm not telling her that she can't be the leader. <laughs> uh, I guess, and like kind of a, an off-air production that we were just talking about ball before we even started, so that's cool, but we're well, starting, I am, so. As if you were in, in any doubt, you probably guessed that this is where I was going, because we are recording this whilst I'm wearing a Bull Nakano t-shirt, um, <laughs> so, which, I, which I acquired um, a couple of years ago, but it's not the only one that I have now. It's a bit of a problem. I think someone who looks as cool and distinctive as she does really lends herself to kind of cool t-shirt designs, and I have a bit of a weakness for them. Yeah, so actually, so let's talk about Bull in terms of like, why did you pick this woman to be your leader, apart from you wouldn't want to tell her no? <laughs> well, I think part of part of the deal with Bull Nakano is that she has such an incredible charisma. Like she she walks in a room and yes, she's she's physically very imposing. That's that's very much her deal, especially when she's got the huge kind of all of the hairspray in the world is kind of holding up what she's got on her head and the paint and everything. But I feel like even if she didn't have any of that, she can just walk into a room and hold your attention. Um, she's somebody who, when she sits up, you listen and, you know, she you can't take her your eyes off her once she's in the room, which I think is one of the reasons why so many of her matches, or especially if you watch a lot of Japanese wrestling like I do, a lot of her matches are kind of in the full on iconic tier just because she is she is one of those people who she does things that you haven't seen before but you can't you know you also can't imagine anybody else wrestling the way that Bull Nakano does and it having the same effect it's something about this kind of perfect marriage of the character and the person kind of like people say about the undertaker as well actually the combination of like the undertaker as the character and Mark Calloway the wrestler is kind of the perfect combination I feel like it's the same with her yeah, and I guess for, for people that don't know who Bull Nakano is, I mean, I would describe her, she's not what you'd expect, I guess, especially if you're watching like modern day product from a Japanese wrestler. She is, I guess, we would say plus size compared to like those women. I, I think she was billed at about 180 pounds at one point, and that was what they billed her weight-wise. She went, yeah. uh, her weight fluctuated quite a bit at various points over her career. She, she kind of belongs to um, a group of women who went into, especially AJW, and they generally people went into training very, very young. Um, AJW's All Japan Women's Wrestling. Um, so Bull Nakano actually debuted in 1985, 1986. Um, and she was maybe even a little bit earlier than that. She was already sort of in the tag title scene at that point as a young teenager. Um, but she she is one of the people who went into that industry hoping that she could be um, sort of one of the conventionally sort of quite pretty slim sort of attractive baby faces that AJW kind of specialised in booking and a few women were told no there's not really room for that we've got plenty of those you're going to have to do something else instead so she puts on more weight becomes this completely different character and leans into this kind of really kind of vicious brutal kind of heel persona that she developed with um, with Matsumoto um, in the mid 1980s and even though she probably gets a little bit less nasty in her approach maybe by the time you hit the the 90s she leans really into that kind of she she can she can technical wrestle you and she does have all of the moves but she will ultimately I think she's probably happiest when she's brawling and she's hitting you with chains or something like that yeah and, I, and in terms of describing her look I mean she has yeah, the other the makeup it's the hair right it's at least a foot high like just straight up like the fringe is just like straight up about a foot high like this blue or green hair depending on what time it is yeah, I'm not sure how tall Bull Nakano is, but in my head, she's like six and a half feet tall and it's mostly <laughs> hair. Like she, it, you add into that. So it's kind of, it's 
mostly blue um so she went through a few different iterations of it with different intensities of it but just tall blue hair that's kind of all slicked up right on top of her head um face paint which is usually kind of blue war stripes kind of across her face at various points she's wrestled in different gear my personal favorite version of bull nakana is the one who wrestles in a megadeth t-shirt um which proves that she is a woman after my own heart in a lot of ways um but yeah she she went through all kinds but whatever the different iterations of that style there's always something that's inherently her and it's normally the one thing that you recognize her by is the combination of the face and the hair yeah and i guess on that so what would be your favorite memory of her what's the memories what should people be looking out for in terms of memories or matches that bull would be known for if they were to look her up yeah so i suppose my i have quite a personal sort of story of how I kind of fell in love with Bull Nakana because it was a period when I had kind of only just gotten back into watching wrestling you know everybody kind of has that time away and then they come that they come back and I was really depressed about the state of kind of the women's division and this was kind of 2013 2014 it was really it wasn't long before the whole hashtag give divas a chance type of movement got underway and I was really struggling with my god what can you women don't get a chance in this industry what are they you know there must be some good women's wrestling somewhere because it's not like these people aren't capable um and my boyfriend and i went away and did a bit of research and he came across this and was like well i know that japan has a really good women's wrestling industry and the first match we want we watched when we went in to kind of discover this was bull nakana versus I think the first one was Bulnakana versus Akira Hokuto. Um, and there's also one that's a Bulnakana versus Aja Kong, which is a steel cage match from 1992, uh, which is one, to this day, one of the bloodiest, most violent, most vicious brawls that I think I've ever seen. They they had stables each who were who had been kind of in a really long running rivalry at that point. Bulnakana in 1990 and 1991 had kind of had a an incredibly long sort of lengthy strong title reign uh, in the company um, and I think Aja Kong might have been the champion by this point um, but yeah they just go for each other so there's people there's people throwing chains through the ropes there's kendo sticks all over the place there's people jumping off the top of cages it's it's at the time it was such a massive wake-up call for me to be all like oh what women have been given the time and the space to to express themselves and to tell a story in that way and actually when people got out of their way and let them do it it was good like and that was that for me that was kind of the beginning of a love affair with with women's wrestling there's a great um really bloody chain match that she had with shinobu kandori um round about the same time and they're not all horrific bloody weapon drenched brawls but the kind of some of the best ones generally are she absolutely like she really can go in the ring there's some really good matches with her and people like Kyoko Inoue and Akira Hokuto but she's someone who worked at such a high level for such a long time especially when you get into kind of the early 90s everything that you everything that's makes tape of her now that you can see you're on to a winner regardless it, she's just incredible it's funny so and I've spoken to like a couple of like people like Heather Bandenberg, like, you know, just told me in the past when we were talking about her unladylike book. And she was talking about how I think it's like women see ball and she she speaks to women, some women so much just because of her yes. style and like the way that she did things. Um, 
So it sounds like we've got, I think I understand what era you're going for. You're probably going for the early 90s era of bulls, like leading this group. That's kind of what I have in mind. I think that's the point where she really comes into her own as a leader is actually kind of when when the crush gals, so Chikasunagaya and Lioness Asuka, both had to retire at, during 1989 because they hit the kind of the mandatory retirement age at the time. Um, and basically that left a bit of a gap and Bull Nakano's title reign kind of plugged the gap in getting the business going again after that kind of sucked the air out of it a bit. So and up until then, I think Bull was probably best known for having worked in a in a tag team when she was part of the atrocious alliance with Dump Matsumoto. Um, but she was never the leader because she was always the younger and, and Dump was kind of the senior. That's the point where really I think of Bonkano as coming into her own as the kind of the, the badass leading a company and leading an idea of wrestling, I think, really, which is what she was doing at the time. Um, so, yeah, that's the version of her that I look at and go, I would follow you anywhere, including into battle. Okay, so we'll take Bunakana from '92 as your leader. Okay, um, every leader, every leader needs a firm right hand. Who have you got for the right hand of Bull? My right hand is Mercedes Martinez. This is looking like a badass group. Oh, it's, <laughs> so why, it's great! It's great. Why, I'm excited about this. Why Mercedes? A, so part of the I didn't approach this group as an idea of just pick, you know, the four greatest wrestlers of all time, because that's I didn't want to do this as like a Mount Rushmore. I wanted to kind of see how they would work together as a group and as a stable. Um, and that includes the petty rivalries and the things that you could see turning into to feuds between them. So point one, I really want to watch Bull Meccano and Mercedes Martinez have like a really intense, emotional, quite violent match at some point to blow off some kind of turf war that they've got going on in the group. Um, but also, I think in some ways, Mercedes represents a kind of tradition of wrestlers that I see as being of a piece with Bull Meccano in the sense that they are the quite, they are the quite strong, maybe a little bit more physically imposing, certainly people who are not, you know, who are, who are muscly and proud and happy to be able to pick people up and swing them around and to lay in the heavy strikes. And I think I see her as having quite a lot in common with her in that respect. I think within this group, I, especially with the other people that I'm going to mention, I want to see every possible combination of these matches. Um, but I also think I've seen Mercedes wrestle tag matches in which she's always been. She can kind of do everything, but I think she's one of those people who could make anybody look good. And I don't know. I just think there's something about her that she and Bull Meccano, I think, would work really well together you know in that kind of bumping off against each other but also having enough in common that if you crossed either of them the other would lay waste to you i just i just really love the idea of the two of them being in a room together i mean mercedes is bad i was trying to think I've seen, wrestle for, I've seen her wrestle for various promotions and against a variety of opponents and the one thing that stands out to me is i've never seen her mess up she's just so sound in the ring in yeah. and just she comes across like a badass but she also is really technically sound I think that's it. I think she can do pretty much anything. I think it's good when you see you see her wrestle against sort of smaller, flippier wrestlers, and she's really good at basing for them and catching them. Um, but you know, she can do the strikes, she can do the mat wrestling, she can she can cut a promo when she's given the chance to do it as well. You know, and often, especially in independent wrestling, it's great to have the matches, but people don't necessarily get the promo time to develop 
those skills and I think that she's someone who can do pretty much anything and I don't think I've seen her have a bad match I think you're right on that she had um it was Wrestlemania weekend a couple of years ago it was the Shimmer 100 show and their main event was um, Mercedes Martinez versus Nicole Savoy for the title I really enjoyed that match. Um, the The result wasn't actually what I was expecting at all, and sometimes I quite like that. Um, but I can't think of a match of hers that I haven't enjoyed. But the obvious one that I think a lot of people will know her from is when she wrestled Mika Satomura in the May Young Classic as well. Yeah. I mean, what's if, are those the two matches you sort of recommend people be checking out of hers, or is there another one that really jumps out? I think they're probably my my big two. I think she's someone where you can kind of pick her up at any point in her career and there'll be something interesting to watch like there's some great matches from sort of the last few years of shimmer and obviously now she's in nxt and that's that's great for her but i'm, I'm probably sad that she won't have quite the same sort of diversity of opponents and of wrestling styles and places where where she works because she's so versatile and that's what's re- really interesting about her to me yeah, I'm I'm intrigued as to what we see from her over the next like year or two in NXT. So it's going to be a really interesting to to see what they let her do as well. You know, in terms of how much she can break out of there. Um, are there any particular moments apart from these matches, or anything you consider to be like Martina Mercedes's Martina Mercedes is 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 it's a hard that's a hard one to do. <laughs> Martina is like Martina, the Latina sensation. I think we call her. Yeah. Any like it's like anything but like key moments that we need to be sort of like calling out here, like outside of these matches. They're like, what's her legacy? I think, I think at the moment the the role that she plays in the industry is to be a veteran who has what twenty years experience and always comes across as being really giving and really generous with younger talent and with people that she works with. Um, she's always, I mean, I've met her once at a show and she was really and she was just great with everybody I got that impression but I think she's proof of and I know she has she has family and she's worked all over the place and she's just an incredible work ethic and I think she's a great she's a great role model for what can be achieved in the industry and in some ways she didn't go to NXT until there was kind of not much else left to do because she'd already done she'd already worked pretty much everywhere else um so I think she stands as testament to kind of how interesting and diverse and versatile the wrestling industry is and what you can achieve in it um are you taking any particular era of mercedes martinez because like i said she's got like a 20-year career to sort of pick from and it's all been pretty great but i would probably choose literally within the last five years so the mercedes martinez who came to britain to work eves she won for example um but you know anywhere within the last few years you're gonna find mercedes hitting kind of a a, a plum patch in her career where you've got some kick-ass matches of hers to watch so you could do pretty much any any period I would guess. I like the way this is shaping up I'm going to be looking forward to who the next two are going to be because there's some strong some strong names there already um we will take a short break and then we'll learn who the other two badass women that you've chosen are. Awesome. The following announcement has been paid for by Women Love Wrestling. The women in my life love wrestling in so many ways. Women love wrestling. Women love refereeing wrestling matches. Women love announcing wrestling shows. Women love photographing wrestling. Women love filming wrestling. Women love creating costumes for wrestlers. 
and doing the hair and makeup of wrestlers. Women love writing articles about wrestling. Women love writing fan fiction about wrestling. Women love creating fan art based on wrestling. Women love wrestling. And that's the basis of an anthology that's being created full of stories of women who are part of the wrestling world. You can check out all the details on womenlovewrestling.net and proceeds from purchases of the anthology are going to support uh, charities like Women's Aid. So please go check it out. They also have a rad t-shirt which features me on it. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, women do love wrestling and it's important that the world knows. And that was Rhea O'Reilly of Pro Wrestling Eve telling you to check out the book and her t-shirt design that we've done of her. And as you can see, in real life, she is a, actually a nice person. Okay, carrying on with the stable that Sarah's been talking about, we have her second two picks. Um, who is number three in this group? Okay, so I figured every stable needs its kind of junior. It needs its person who's the kind of the young, hungry, up-and-comer, tons of attitude, tons of energy, great wrestler just maybe needs reining in a bit and needs a learning opportunity kind of a kind of the type of character that Sammy Guevara is with the inner circle in AEW at the moment yeah. um so for these for these women Charlie Evans was the perfect pick Charlie Evans is obviously she's an Australian wrestler who has been working in Britain for a very long time now and she's somebody else where I honestly don't think I've seen her have a match that I haven't loved um I think she could do anything, quite honestly. And I think the fact that she's so early in her career and she's got so many, she's got so many years left to go and where she could go in the future, I really hope that she has a long and, and fruitful career. Um, so last year, I at the Chris Wolf retirement show, I watched her wrestle a wolf's head, so a disembodied wolf's head for fifteen minutes, and it was probably the best work match on the show. It was just she's just great. She could do anything that you put in front of her. This is crazy because I was at that show, and I if, we, if I had known you then, it would have been great to sort of chat at that point. I I was at that show. I'd got back from WrestleMania being aware of the guys and yeah, good and bad of doing that. But this Chris Wolf retirement show was probably the most fun show I went to all of that year. No, one hundred percent. It was just a. What was great about that show is that nothing happened the way that you expected it to and even on the occasions where you were like yeah this seems like something that Chris would that Chris would do it still didn't quite unfold that way so I, I can't remember the last time I laughed that hard at a wrestling show honestly yeah she's a was, comic genius um, but, but what was great about that was that actually they'd led into it for a while because pretty much every time that um Charlie and Chris had interacted some way or other Charlie had risked getting into it with Tito the Wolf, you know, off and on for quite some time. So they'd they'd kind of had a bit of a mini feud going on that kind of built to this blow off where Charlie Evans took a disembodied head and and genuinely put on a clinic with it. It was kind of I really hope that or she might have been watching the um, the famous Kota Ibushi versus Yoshihiko match. Um, but yeah, I just think that uh, that to me kind of represented the fact that I was like my God, Charlie Evans is good. And then I saw that match and was like, bloody hell, just give her all the titles. Just put her in that position now. And I think she is someone who, I, again, I would love to see her in a room with someone like Mercedes Martinez, or I'd love to see her in a room with someone like Pekir or Bull Nakano, because she is someone who wouldn't back down from them. 
Yeah, I mean, and people are probably less aware of Charlie. Like, you know, she's on the UK scene more than anything, like in the indie scene, wrestling for Eva and so on. Um, I'm trying to think, how would you describe her character? Like, how would you, how would people, like, why would people find her interesting? What, what do you like about her? I think the main thing I like about her is that she has such an attitude about her. It, in some ways, it's really interesting watching her tag as the Medusa complex with Millie McKenzie, because I think in a lot of ways, they kind of naturally swing in different alignments. So I think Millie has, to me, she's always seemed like a really great, a really great kind of baby face. She has this kind of big, big, big smile and people, people like cheering for her. I think Charlie can lean into that when they're tagging together. But I also think that Charlie just has a bit of an edge to her that means that when she works heel, that's when people really stand up and, and take notice. Um, I I like the fact that, again, she's probably someone who can do anything. And I think her strikes are, in particular, really well done. Um, it's hard to pick a match of hers at this point, other than you know going on at length about her wrestling Tito. Um, because to be honest, pretty much whatever you got to with her, I think would you'd be onto a winner. Um, so I would check out, for example, maybe some of her matches from um, Pro Wrestling East. She won last year, but again, by no means is that ex- by no means is that exhaustive. Pretty much, pick yeah. a promotion, pick a match she's had. You know, I think you'll be onto a winner. And I don't think we can talk about Charlie's legacy at this point, right? She's just so early in her career. She's like I said, she, you chose mm-hmm. her as your junior to work with That's the other, with the other people. That's about her though. What ex- what excites me about her is the fact that we don't know what her legacy is going to be yet, but I think it could be really huge. You know, we we have to hope that we, we have to hope that the opportunities continue, and we know that you know the industry goes through cycles of boom and bust. But she's potentially someone who, if you look at Mercedes Martinez, was nearly forty when she went to NXT. Charlie could have another twenty years left in this industry, yeah. you know, to, to to wrestle and what she could do in that time. I can't wait to see. Do you, do you know, has Charlie been over to Japan as much, or is she mainly staying yeah. in the UK? Yes. Yeah, she has. So um, she and Millie McKenzie um, worked in Sendai Girls quite a, um, for oh. a little while. So they've, done a, they've done a couple of tours over there. Um, I'd like to see her go back just because they had some really good matches over there. Sendai Girls doesn't have a huge roster, but the people that they do have are all great and they rely on sort of bringing in freelancers to mix things up as well. Um, but yeah, so they had some really good matches against people like um, Dash Chizako. Um, there's some good tag matches that the pair of them wrestled. Um, and, you know, they've been... Charlie's obviously Australian. I don't think they're necessarily limited in where they can work. Um, I think they can pretty much anywhere that there was a scene I think they'd find a good home. Cool yeah I'm not so familiar with her work in Japan so that's cool to hear but people could be checking her out there as well that's cool okay um so you've got okay we've got Ball we've got Mercedes we've got Charlie who is going to be the fourth person in this group? So I liked the idea of there being one person who's the the jaded grizzled veteran in the back who also sort of secretly scares everybody as well um and i picked jazz oh cool jazz yeah so i thought about this for quite a long time and then actually i wrote out a list of kind of all the people that i'd really sort of loved growing up and the people that i'd really want to see in that role and i was like yeah jazz was unlike anybody else at that time she was just the first I saw of her was actually in probably about 2003 when she made her she made her debut in the WWF as it would have been at the time and she was kind of brought out and it wasn't not 
to much fanfare, it must be said, um, although she was brought in as an ECW original and it was continuing that storyline from the invasion and WCW and ECW. Um, but Paul Heyman made a really big deal out of her on commentary, as, as he would. But she then goes into this six-pack challenge for the women's title. And she doesn't win, but she's by far the person who makes the biggest impact because she doesn't look like anybody else. She doesn't wrestle like anybody else. She goes in there and she has, I mean, she's, she's not very tall at all, but she's very powerful. And she wrestles like a power wrestler who can throw you around and can grapple you and can but she can strike and she's just someone who's had a really interesting, really varied career and who even now, and I believe she's in her early fifties at this point, she's still she's still wrestling and she is somebody who honestly I think could still do a lot of damage if you go if you got on her bad side. Yeah, remind me, back when she first got into WWE, I recall, maybe it was a six-pack, but didn't they build her as like a monster? And was it Trish or Tori? Someone was like petrified of her. They were just establishing she was such a badass. Yeah. Some, someone was so scared to fight her. I think it might it might have been Tori. Um, by all means, you know, anyone who listens to this, please do correct us if you yeah. remember this better than we do. But yeah, I mean, I can see why, though, because she was, she was really intimidating. She was really imposing. Um, and she wasn't she wasn't necessarily looking at eye level with most of those people, but I think they were cowering underneath and on the left. It was, she, that was the thing that I remember about her because especially because I was, I was quite a a young teenager at the time. And I remember looking at her and thinking, oh, so you don't have to, you don't have to be quite as, as perfect as as some of these other women. You can actually have something that's, you can have a bit more of an edge and you can be a bit wilder. And I always really, I always really kind of, paid attention whenever she was on the screen and I I wondered what had happened to her for quite a long time um because she didn't have that long a run in WWF in the end um and then a couple of years ago when I found out that not only was she still wrestling but she was going to be but she'd been NWA champion and and things like that I was just like yeah I really hoped that she was going to carry on you know breaking people's spirits for a little while yeah, I mean, I've a bit of a don't know jazz that well. I mean, back in that era, she was also, I don't think there was many black women wrestling in WWE, you know. She, so she, well. It was generally the era of blonde women, for lack of a better way to put it. You know, blonde white girls, like the, they were sort of still in the model stage, weren't they, in terms of, and then having jazz come out and just throw people around and be a badass. Well, the thing is, I think even now, you can, even now, you can look at WWE and you can say, They've never been great at pushing women of colour. They've never been good at booking women of colour or, you know, presenting them in ways that don't rely on lazy stereotypes. And I think sometimes Jazz got, Jazz ended up being a victim of that. So she ended up in a stable called Thuggin' and Buggin' with um, Rodney Mack. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, led by Teddy Long and things. But I think somehow she ha- she had an inherent dignity about her that actually meant that whatever whatever she was mired in you always knew that she was dangerous and that she was powerful um and she i think that was one of the reasons she was interesting i mean in that i believe in that six pack challenge i mentioned Jacqueline was one of the other competitors so she'd been around for a little bit for a little bit longer i know she'd been wrestling in the company for quite a long time at that point but certainly nobody really had the weight of the company put behind them, certainly not in the way that a Trish Stratus 
character night and I think Jazz is one of those people who everybody remembers even though she didn't necessarily have the kind of length of run or you know prestige of run that uh, that some of the other women at the time did yeah that's fair I mean are we picking out one match have you got one that you would say this is the match of Jazz that you should see is it is it that six pack or was there another one from the Dolly Dolly F come E run. I think there's also the WrestleMania 19 main event, which I think it's 19, um, which is it's her versus Tristratus versus Victoria. Um, and it's a really good triple threat. I think triple threats are often quite hard to work well. And especially being the women's match at WrestleMania means that with the best will in the world, you don't get a lot of time. And every match from that period where you say yeah it's a really great it's a really great women's match that could have done with another five minutes though because they all always could but they packed a lot into that one and it was a really it was a really interesting showcase for all three of them um so that's super cool i was also lucky enough to watch her wrestle rhea o'reilly last year and if you can track that down that is a phenomenal brawl between two really powerful women who honestly kind of at the height of their powers which is impressive considering that jazz has been in the business for such a long time at this point i don't feel like she's missed a step and was that a pro wrestling eve like she won or was that a different one that was uh it was a she won match actually yeah um phenomenal stuff um i just i'd pay to watch jazz anywhere um, I know that there was there was a period where she was the NWA Women's Champion. Um, she's not with them anymore. But... It feels like she was like did the, the classic was like I don't know if journey woman's the right word, but she just kept wrestling and moving around. It seems like, and then that's why you then you look it up and you're like, wow, she kept going for like 20 years, and then you realise yeah. now. Yeah, and actually, when you go back and look at what she was doing at ECW in in the 90s, when she was, you know, she was doing it. She she was doing intergender wrestling there, and she was getting involved in. I, I don't have necessarily a lot of time for ECW, especially not where women are concerned. But there's something really interesting about the way that she carries herself through that. And even, yeah. you know, storylines that are trash, complete trash. Um, jazz is always there and jazz is always noticeable. Like she's always somewhere in the middle of it. And you're going, who's she? I want to know more about her. So are we taking jazz from 2003? Is that like her... The era for you? Um, let's say yes, because that's the version of her where I think you probably saw the least of her potential. She she had the spotlight, but she didn't necessarily get to work to the full extent of her abilities. And I think that, you know, clashing with people like Mercedes Martinez and Paul Nakano in backstage segments, I would like to see her get that kind of that kind of opportunity. Good way to look at it. Yeah. So we've got Paul Nakano leading the group. Then she's got Mercedes Martinez as her right hand. You've got the young junior that is Charlie Evans. And then you've got, I guess, Grizzled Vet Jazz in the group as well. And you're looking at the dynamic of those four. Um, yeah. Okay, so we've got your we've got your four horse women. And then I guess the final question is, is one of them ultimately turning or being ditched by the others and going on their own singles run and fighting the group is there a manager involved how does how does the group like end up for you how do you envision them so i think you've got some people who can cut very good promos in this room in this room so they don't necessarily need a manager um but i really like the idea of zelina vega being in charge of all of these women at the same time because i think it's a combination of really strong personalities and zelina vega has one too she i don't think she gets enough 
credit necessarily I know people generally look at her as being a good manager but she really is great um, and she's someone who could be relied upon to mix it up and to run interference and potentially even to you know rile them up against each other a little bit and kind of maybe stir some of those tensions that then make them maybe work in slightly different ways in the ring so whether she gets involved in this or not I don't know but I feel like the natural conclusion is that Mercedes Martinez is going to turn on Paul Meccano because she's had enough of being the second in command because there is absolutely a version of another four horsewomen where Mercedes Martinez is the leader and um, I'd be really interested to see whether she then went off and kind of recruited her own people and we finally got that four horsewomen versus four horsewomen match in the main event of WrestleMania, except that this time it's people I actually want to see in the main event of WrestleMania. That sounds like a correct idea. And I think, so you've got Vega as manager and in my head, Vega is, when she's not in those giant hills, she's very small. So she's the classic she small manager, mouthy, being loud and like encouraging her charges, you know, managing them and trying to sort of lead them to glory. And then ultimately, I can imagine that's probably what Hart part turns Mercedes against the rest of them at some point. I can imagine there being too much happening that. there. I, I can believe that one day Mercedes might just might just flip and might just want to swap Zelina like a fly. Like she is out, she's quite she's quite mouthy and she can be really obnoxious. And I could see eventually people were just like, go away. But at the same time, that's why that's the kind of person you also really want on your side because the more they can rile up your opponents, the more chance there is that they're going to snap or that they're going to make a mistake. You want to be able to use that to your advantage, don't you? And we also know that when when called upon, Zelina is more than capable of cheeky hurricane rounding somebody out of the way. So, you know, she she has her uses. Cool. So we've got Vega managing Bunacano, Mercedes Martinez, Charlie Evans and Jazz. And eventually you can imagine Mercedes Martinez is the one that just has enough of that shit, basically, and <laughs> decides to yeah. go against them. That sounds like a great setup. So we'd have to do another episode, maybe like in, in, the, in the future, where we have the Mercedes Martinez horsewomen. And you can see how that works. I'd be really interested to see when when other people start presenting their four horsewomen. I would be really interested to see who would win in a fight between my four horsewomen <laughs> yeah. and everybody else's four horsewomen. Because I'm scared of this group. I'm scared of this group and I've just put them together. So God knows what the wrestling world's going to make of them. Well, definitely like, have to think about doing that at the end of the first season when we've got everyone's like picks done. We're, we'll line them all up and see what people think. But I love that idea cool great thank you for your time today that was a great set of like horse women i love the logic behind the booking that you've done there as well um before we sign off is there anything you wanted to plug tell people how to follow you on twitter etc so my twitter handle is sarah parkin one um s-a-r-a-h people do keep getting that wrong believe it or not um and pretty much anything else that i have coming up i'll probably talk about on there um i do have um, a new podcast um project coming up fairly soon myself which i'm really excited about um, which is called big egg podcasting universe where we're going to go through um with me and a couple of friends we're going to go through every single match on the iconic big egg wrestling universe um show from the tokyo dome in japan in 1995 um which is it's a 24 match show over 10 hours but i promise it is not going to be as arduous as that sounds the show was actually great um so that's going to be coming out at some point kind of in the next couple of months but we're not sure exactly when so follow me on twitter guys and then you'll get all the the updates that sounds cool i still one day i want to try and watch that show i'm like can i watch that show that's a lot of work 
it's it's all on YouTube. Um, I would probably suggest doing it in stages and being very selective because not everything on there is essential. I can tell you that much. <laughs> well, that's what the podcast will tell people when it comes out. So, Absolutely. Cool. Great. Thank you for your time today. Uh, and everyone, thank you for listening and have a good day. Hello, this is WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley, and I'm sending out a, a big shout out of congratulations to everyone involved with the publication of Women Love Wrestling. Uh, as far as I know, this is the first book dedicated solely to the love appreciation of women's wrestling, wrestling and wrestlers. There have been other books about individual wrestlers, but nothing that I know of that encompasses this uh, huge scope and shows this type of enthusiasm for the art of female professional wrestling. Wishing you all the best and also very grateful that a portion of the proceeds are going to rain and another really great uh, organization that benefits um, uh, women's causes. Keep up the great work. And all the best to you with the publication of this fine book, getting five-star reviews left and right, right there on Amazon. Have a nice day.